It is Legends Territory. We're back. Scotty Braun and AJ Pruszynski. We got a big one today. And first, as always, thanks to our MLBPAA fam for setting up the best former player combos in the biz. Check out baseballalumni.com for more info on your favorite players. And quick reminder, if you're watching this on YouTube, the podcast version of this show is on Apple and Spotify. So now let's get to our next legend. Hall of Famer coming through, 16-year big leaguer, and most of that time with the Mets and the Dodgers, a 12-time All-Star, including an All-Star game MVP, 10-time Silver Slugger, a former Rookie of the Year, one of the best slugging catchers of all time, inducted into the Hall in 2016. Mike Piazza has arrived in Legends territory. Oh, and let me add a credential, Mike. Uh, Team Italy manager in this past World Baseball Classic. How you doing? And how was that Thank little you. run for you? <clears throat> yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, that project uh, was really um, the genesis. The genesis of that came from that you know I played for Team Italy in 2006, and I've always had a great relationship with them. Uh, Matt, uh, coached, I think, in 2009 and 13, and um, uh, stepped away for a little bit. And then when I actually moved to Italy, obviously they're like, "Hey, you're over here now. Do you want to? Would you like to help us out again?" And 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 I did. Um, and uh, it's just it's been a lot of fun. It, it's been a labor of love, and uh, obviously keeps my toe in the game a little bit. And uh, this past recent classic was amazing. We had. Um, we had some great guys. Um, my team coordinator is a guy by the name of uh, Gianmarco Faroni and just started recruiting early. You know, we're like, hey, let's try to make an impact in this thing. So we were able to find out many guys that we didn't even realize were Italian. And so we had to do the research and, and go through the consulate and trace their families back and get documents so that they were eligible. And uh, it turned out to be uh, a lot of fun. I mean, we had a great team uh, vibe and we had a lot of chemistry and we still have a group chat. You know, I, every time guys get called up and, and guys are doing well, we all jump on the chat and give, you, give, give each other props. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, a great experience. Mickey, Nicky Lopez is one of those guys because we had him on foul territory and we're like, wait, you're Italian? Nicky Lopez yeah. doesn't sound Italian, but he was. So that makes sense that you guys would do that. Yeah. You're in Miami now. What's the split between Italy and Miami as far as your living situation? Yeah, well, I st it started my wife and I just wanted to put our kids in school for a few years, like uh, to study abroad and give them a European experience. And then two years turned into five after COVID, you know, because everything was uh, turned upside down. And then amazingly, it just kind of becomes home. Uh, you know, especially kids, because they get into their social groups and, you know, my daughters have friends over there. And so generally, though, myself, we, uh, my family is still in the car business. So I still have our businesses back here in Philly. So I have to come back periodically. And it makes it easy because I'm close to Milan and there's a lot of flights going back and forth. So, I, I mean, I've been flying now more than when I played, which is crazy. Uh, and, um, but yeah, I mean, they're there for the school year. And then obviously for the summer, it's not, it's a great time to be over there. The beach, there's the Malfi and we go down to Forte di Marmi and uh, Milan Maritima on the coast and we travel, you know, my kids just went to Turkey, to Istanbul and, um, it, everything is close too. So when you go to France or you go to, to England or Germany, everything's just an hour and a half flight. So, uh, it's a good way of life. You know, it really is. It's, it's incredible, the food and wine and culture. And so, uh, I don't know. We're just taking it step by step. My oldest now is going to be getting ready. Probably she's going to be a junior in high school. So 
we'll see if she wants to come back here and go to college. Um, you know, but obviously she has options and that's great. I want to backtrack for one sec because you said there was the yeah. group chat going with Team Italy. Yeah. So sure. giving like the best text or who's the biggest prankster who's got the best memes or lines or anything like that going on in there. Well, Sully, I mean, our catcher, I mean, you're talking about Lopez too, but you know, his mom uh, is, is Italian uh, and um, uh, obviously uh, the Fletcher brothers who their mother is born, was born in Italy is, is from Tuscany. Uh, and Dominic obviously just get recently called up and got off to a great start. And so, yeah, the, the, we, we really had an incredible time. I mean, Matt Harvey, obviously, I didn't even realize his mom's name was Venditti and his mom was from outside of Rome, his, the family. So you would never think, uh, Harv was, uh, Italian. So it was amazing. John Marco did all the research and, and obviously we had to get all the documents to make sure they were eligible. And it really, um, it, what a great group, really. I mean, I was so sad to see Harv retire. I mean, I felt like he pitched well enough to get another shot. Uh, he was dealing, and he obviously wasn't throwing 96, 97. But um, unfortunately, uh, you know, if you don't have those numbers today, it seems like that uh, um, you don't, uh, they're just not going to give you an opportunity, which is a little sad. What was yeah. Matt like when you uh, worked with him out there on Team Italy? Because, I mean, you guys both had, had like moments where you were the king of New York City, right? So yeah. just curious to get your take on if you had any conversations about his incredible run there, both on the field. And, hey, he had his, his issues off the field, which sure. we're all well aware, and he's talked about it. And, like, you know, how did he see him at this point in his life? Well, I thought he was an incredible teammate. I mean, he took the team out to dinner a couple of times. I mean, everyone, we, we were all like, wow, we were in Taipei and we went out to a restaurant and, and I was like, Harv, you, you, you need some help? He says, no, I got it. Don't worry about it. Uh, and that just shows his incredible, um, his willingness and generosity as a teammate. And of course, as you said, uh, he had his issues, but, you know, I believe in second chances. I believe in, in um, uh, just, just, uh, forgiveness. And, and he seemed everything that our experience with him was incredible. And, you know, again, it was a little sad for me. I was hoping somebody would at least give him one more shot, you know, that maybe he could break through and be a fourth or fifth starter. And, um, again, it just didn't, didn't happen. And, and that's sad and that's part of life, but I think he's kind of surrendered to it. He's moved on. Obviously he's, he's starting to get into real estate in New York and, um, uh, you know, I wish him the best. I mean, we're friends. We text once in a while. And, uh, you know, he recently just lost a grandfather a few months ago. And so we were all very much uh, give him, give him, you know, gave him our condolences on that. And so great guy, man. You know, it's, uh, this game is hard. This game is harsh. The world sometimes is, is not fair, but uh, you still have to get up every day and, and move forward. Mike, what has your run in the WBC done to grow the game in Italy. What are you doing since you're over there most of the time? And finally, next time you guys have a, a tournament, do you need an extra coach? Because Perzinski sounds very Italian. And I always <laughs> would love to go over and That's... spend some time in Italy with someone like you. <laughs> That's Team Poland, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, we... <laughs> Uh, we can we can organize the Polish guys. You know they're good guys. We we work with everyone in Europe. You know the Czechs obviously had a great run. Um, uh, the Germans are doing very well. Germany they they recruit well and and they have some good athletes. Uh, they have a kid in the big leagues actually. I, I forget his name. Uh, I think with Minnesota, I played for a little bit. I, I forget his name, but uh, he you know 
the whole program of, of baseball in Italy is that it's a club sport. You know, it's just obviously you have soccer and you have other sports over there that are that are the main sports. And I think baseball in Italy has been a tradition since after World War II. And it's gone through ups and downs. I mean, it really comes down to funding. I mean, you know this. It really comes down to um, if we are able to do well in the international uh, events, we get more funding from Coney. We actually get funding from the Olympic Committee of Italy. So uh, the international events are very important and it's based on your success. So we have to kind of go above and beyond to try to, to win so that we get more funding. I mean, Major League Baseball, uh, they just had the London series. I think that's pretty cool. You know, I've kind of impressed Jim Small from Major League Baseball International to try to, to do more. Um, and it's difficult. I understand their position because, you know, baseball in Italy is very, in, in Europe in general, is very fractured. You know, there's little groups and clubs. And we've tried to at least make the instructional program uniform in the recruiting program. And now we've changed our approach. We're trying to get more Italian kids, native kids to go to college here. Because you, in the past, they had signed if they had some ability, but they kind of washed out early because they just didn't have the experience. So now we feel if they can come here and get into these college programs, and not necessarily the major college programs, even if it's junior college or even the last year of high school, we're seeing better results in that. So the, the way we can keep more producing more European, especially for us Italian players, we think that will help with continuing to grow the game. Has MLB approached you about being a Chase Utley type figure? I don't know if you've seen Utley's role with the league right now, but going to that extent, if you'd even want to get that heavily involved? Well, I mean, I think I've been over there so long now. I mean, again, I've been working with him since uh, 2006. So, um, I mean, like, I, I guess I was the original ambassador to Europe. I mean, I from playing the, in Italy and then just working in various – uh, you know, sort of gyrations of baseball in Europe. I mean, Dan Bonanno, who's with Major League Baseball International, and as I mentioned, Jim, um, they have events. I do one-off events, occasionally clinics. I've done clinics and tried to, as I've said, now now with the, the sort of technical age and with the internet, we're trying to sort of solidify and make the instructional program uniform from the pitchers and the hitters and other various positions. So, now that we have that ability, um, we're getting a little bit more focused and we're trying to just refine the talent and, as I said, produce more players. But, um, you know, there's two different phases to it. Obviously, there's PR and there's outreach and there's a big event like London. And then there's like grassroots uh, recruiting and instruction and development, which is kind of what more I've been on that side. You know, just just working with the youth and working with our league over there and trying to make things better. And it's a labor of love. You know, you're never going to see instantaneous success, you know, just little steps here or there. And the recent success we had in the Classic was big because it brought in some funding and we're able to just continue to, to build the awareness. And hopefully one day, you know, there's a stadium in Rome and hopefully one day they're playing in Paris and things like that. So that's kind of our vision. Mike, I'm again, I'm free anytime. You, you want me to come over and do <laughs> hey, some grass, I, we'll talk. Do some, do some grassroots stuff with you? I mean, let's go. I, I mean, who yeah, doesn't love well, Italy in the summer? I mean, I'm in. So just you know. uh, We will. I will let you know. We have tours all the time. You know, we bring over guys. Major League Baseball used to have a camp in where we had an academy in Tuscany. 
And then we would bring kids over and guys would come on and instruct and then kind of like a work vacation thing and then go touring and shopping and wine tasting and all that stuff. So, yeah, man, if you're interested, honestly, we do. We do have a program and uh, we had the Mission Classic, which we brought all these guys over last year before the Classic to kind of build some team unity. And we had a great time, man. We went to Rome. We went to Florence. We went to, you know, they came to my house. I had a party at, uh, at, at my house and guys just killed it you know they could eat and drink i can tell you that much i'd rather clothe them than feed them that's for <laughs> that sure. sounds all that sounds awful mike i changed my mind i'm out i don't, I don't nobody i don't want to <laughs> yeah. do that at all that sounds horrible man oh. yeah if you look at the the website uh you know the italian american baseball foundation as well as a group in new york um actually I have an event this this uh wednesday night we have a cigar event in brooklyn uh i'll give you the information the Italian-American Baseball Foundation. And so they work as well with us. They raise money for the cause and um, they organized and they did this incredible production. It's it's on their website, the Mission Classic of all this touring Italy. And so, um, yeah, but listen, man, we're, we're open to anybody. I mean, there's a lot of interest now, as you said. And so we, we love to bring guys over and, and have clinics and uh, work with the kids. And, and they love it too. You know, it really makes them feel... Uh, they're connected and and because again as i've said you know baseball in europe is isn't uh you know it's like a club sport it's still we're trying to build the awareness but so when a kid plays baseball in italy they're kind of like a maverick you know it's kind of like most of their friends are like you're playing baseball like so they they have to go through that social sort of um, uh, pressure to do other things and so we we really want to try to help them out and, and say we're here for you and and hopefully build their careers Important question for you. Should every big league dugout have an espresso machine? <laughs> you know, it's funny, man. We, we, that was like the one thing that I was insisted upon. I was like, man, we got to have an espresso machine because, you know, it's a part of the culture. I mean, it, and, and again, you know, Americans drink these big, big, tall coffees. I mean, Italians drink like this, you know, this is, this is our little coffee. So, um, you know, we had a great coaching staff, you know, Jibo Generali from uh, uh, from Parma, Michele, his brother, and guys that uh, that really um, – we, we and again, that's another thing. You know, we were able to bring over guys. We had some Italian guys that we really care about and, and that have really contributed. So um, eventually we want to make the team almost 50-50, you know, with Italian-American guys and Italian guys. So we're growing we're, – we're getting that uh, – you know, we're growing in that direction. So – uh, with that comes the culture. And so that, yeah, that was pretty cool. That was amazing how people picked up on that. That was that, a lot of fun. That was awesome. And most yeah. major leaguers freaking live and die off of coffee. I mean, almost every guy <laughs> you talk to, they're, they're going down through, you know, six plus cups a day from, you know, it's a long day at the ballpark. So it's a, it, it's, it's, it's a passion play for most guys too. So to talk about no the fine delicacy of, of the taste and the flavors. So um, all right, I want to swing it over to the U.S. and to your playing days. I want to start here. So you were arguably one of the most accessible athletes in the top market in the country. No? You think I'm wrong? Oh, no, no. I'm a, you're very I'm, – I'm flattered. Go ahead. I, I think that you were yeah. you were open. You would have conversations yeah. with the media. We, we could get to know you. Also, one of the keys – and especially on, on everything we do through foul territory and legends territory here is, is the bullshit cookie cutter kind of answers from people are just so tired. And in baseball, yeah. a lot of guys were trained to be that way and just 
you know, you're a rookie, you come up, you don't say shit. And then they just start going down that path. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you were at a time period where, you know, there's, there's Jeter and there's Ewing and some of these guys that are, are the faces of these franchises that are iconic. Um, but they're pretty reserved, right? You don't yeah. really get to open up or know them well. So the connection with fans, I can say for me, I grew up in the area, so I can say this. It doesn't resonate the same way. You seem to be different where it's like, hey, I can chill back with you and give you more um, because why not? Well, you also have to understand, again, I mean, I retired in 2007 and I came to New York in 98 and I know I'm dating myself, but I mean, I'm not. Back then, the media was different. Uh, back then, of course, there wasn't Twitter and social media. And I think uh, you got to understand, I mean, we had uh, the Daily News, the Post, the Times, the Star-Ledger, the, the Record, all these papers, and every paper had a columnist. And then you had the, the, um, the TV and the radio and the fan and all these, uh, these outlets in New York. And so... I kind of made a conscious decision where, like you said, I just wanted to be open. And I think there's a lot of pressure there. I say, you know, New York is is twice as good as anywhere when you win and twice as bad when you lose. And uh, I think the one thing that I learned from my various managers and coaches is just to be accountable. Because as I've said before, you know, sometimes you just suck. I mean, AJ, AJ will protest to that, man, you know, you have your good games, but sometimes you suck. Sometimes you have your bad games. And I think they're always on guard to see how you're going to handle those tough times. And as an athlete, you know, we are built, uh, we, our reputation and our successes, but we're built from our failures. And so when I was struggling, I always wanted to hustle. You know, when I was struggling, I always wanted to try to catch a good game, even if I wasn't hitting the ball well. I wanted to try to do everything I could to help the ball club win, regardless of if I was driving in the big runs or not. So just generally, you have to have the right attitude and you have to be accountable. And, and, and today, you know, look, I mean, generations change. I think a lot of these kids are really good kids. I can call them kids, but I think they grew up in it. They grew up in a different time. And I think generally, and again, I'm not, I'm not stereotyping. Everyone's a little bit more sensitive, sensitive to criticism, sensitive to, to uh, being under the, the, the microscope. And you're seeing a lot of that play out in real time. And I think, you know what? Just go out there and play your ass. I mean, Roy Campanella, when I was with the Dodgers, the last year I was worried about pressure in my rookie year. He says, Mike, just play the game. He goes, players play, writers write, coaches coach. Like, there's nothing they can write about you after a bad game to make you feel worse. And there's nothing they can write about you after a good game to make you feel better. So that's reality. And I think um, that was good sort of you know, teaching for me and good philosophy, which helped me throughout my career. I don't know how much you're following the Mets on a daily basis, but in this current time period, they're struggle city right now. And yeah. people always use like LOL Mets, right? Like they spent a ton of money. You've got all this star power. The one thing I do think about as you're answering this though, is post game every single game. Cause I follow all the post game quotes and everything. And you could easily have guys not available or, you know, you watch the interview and it's 10 seconds long and they just give you one-word answers. Of course, you've got the vets like Scherzer, Verlander, but even you know Lindor, who's kind of more in the middle of his career right now. Every day, even if he's slumping through you know a couple weeks and the team is not playing well, I think that's the difference right now. It's not like it's nonstop drama 
that we saw with the previous ownership group too at times, right? With the Wilpons, there yeah. was so much going on around sure. the ball club and the organization. So I, I don't know what you've observed from you know this Met side because you played for the previous ownership group, but I still see a difference right now, even though the team is severely underperforming. I think ultimately it really comes down to it's tough to win. That's that's just my opinion. And uh, I don't care how much money you spend. I don't care who you sign. I don't care what rookies you have or what your philosophy or your strategy is. There's always hiccups. And the teams that kind of deal with those hiccups are the ones that are going to win. And um, a winning team has to have a certain type of chemistry, a certain type of zen. And if they don't have that, um, it's it's difficult. And especially in New York, because if you get off to a to a start or a bad start, or you start to struggle, you have slumps, you have to kind of insulate yourself, and you have to find a way to get out of it, and you have to find different characters and different people. I mean, my personal situation is I knew when I played that the team kind of looked to me to light the light the the match to get us going to get the big hit, and. Uh, you know, courage and leadership, you know, people talk about these things all the time. I think it's hard. They are Those are very difficult qualities to find. But then you have to kind of rationalize it in your mind. Just go, man, we're just playing baseball, man. Let's just go out and, and be free and stop worrying about it. I mean, if you're out there worrying about losing or worrying about what they're going to write or say about you if you have a bad game, that's a horrible mindset. And, and you have to kind of understand in this day and age, especially in baseball, you're a, a winning streak away from limping back into it. I mean, you could win eight out of 10. The other team struggled a little bit. And next thing you know, you're knocking on the door. So years ago, when there was two divisions and you were 20 games out in June, it was like the rest, the rest of the year sucked, man. It was like you're just rolling out there, mailing it in, and, and it was hard to motivate. So now with the playoff system and the wild card and all these scenarios, you've you got to stay positive. I mean, that's what I would tell them if I was in that clubhouse. I'd say, guys, we win two out of three, win three out of four, win five, you know, and, and slowly build. And if you have a, a step back, go forward. I mean, that's why in the car, man, you know, the windshield is this big and the rearview mirror is this big. You know, look forward. Don't look back. The, the yesterday's gone. Win today. And hopefully if you could get a streak going, you could limp right back into a playoff situation. Mike, I forgot that you played for the Mets. Uh, I honestly, mm. because you were such a Marlins legend <laughs> for those what, five games you played. <laughs> I, I have a triple actually with the Marlins oh, too, you if really? you can believe it. Oh, if you wow. can believe it. <laughs> I mean, that was a funny story, man. Jim Leland, it was so funny. I got traded from the Dodgers, obviously. I couldn't believe it. I go to St. Louis and I'm like, holy shit, I got freaking traded, man. It was nuts. And Jim Leland brought me in his office and of course, you know, smoking a cigarette. He goes, listen, man. He goes, you're going to get your money. No doubt in your mind. You deserve it. You earned it. You're going to get paid. Obviously, it's not going to be here. You know, we're already talking. There's some other teams that are interested. He goes, you may not even play. He goes, just keep yourself in shape. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, obviously, you'll probably be out of here in a few days. That night, I remember Todd Stoudemire. I was, Todd Stoudemire was, was pitching, I believe, with, with uh, uh, the Cardinals. I think McGuire hit one over the scoreboard. And uh, we were tied in, in a guy on third in the sixth inning. And I'm sitting there. I got no cup on. I don't have spikes. And he's like, Piazza, grab a bat. You're hitting. I was like, what? <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, shit. And so, uh, you know, fortunately, um, 
I had some stuff there. I went right out and I swung at the first pitch. He threw me a get me over slider and I hit a sack fly. So that was my first RBI and my first at bat with the Marlins. So obviously prepare for the unexpected when you're, when you're in that situation. So that, that was a cool story. Speaking of the unexpected, one of my all-time favorite Mike Piazza moments was the home run on 9/11, uh, or after September 11. Yeah, and I, I was 21st. playing at the time. I was playing at the time. I was. I remember where I was when it all happened, and I remember what we went through to to come back and play. Can you explain what that moment meant, especially playing in New York, the first game back? You know, you hit the home run. You're running around the bases. Just, just talk about that, because every time I see that, still, it still gives me chills. Because I remember, I remember where I was. I remember what happened. I remember yeah. coming back. Yeah, I mean, thank you. I, it's one of those, I think, out of body experiences in a way. I, I really can't explain the emotions of being in New York that week. And then, as you said, all the anxiety, anticipation, fear, trepidation, going up to should we be playing? Is it the right time? Uh, we, as you said, we were off for a week. We didn't know what to do. I mean, there was a lot. And then finally, I think when you're, when you have fear, uh, then you have to try to find courage. And we said, okay, it's the right time. Let's do this. And, uh, as I've mentioned many times before, when the bagpipes came out that night, I mean, I just, I started to lose it emotionally. And I remember being on the first baseline and just saying to myself and praying, you know, God, please, just let me get through the night. I mean, I didn't care about hits, runs, winning, losing. I was like, I just wanted to try to hold it together emotionally, all, as all of us were just wrecks. I mean, we all hugged and, and uh, you know, we, we go up, we were rivals. We're playing Atlanta Braves and, and they had, had got our number the last few years. And it was uh, it was one of those things where it was just so much bigger than baseball. I mean, I just, I, I go up to, to, to Larry Chipper, I was calling Larry and, and hug him and say, Larry, just just hug your kids, man, hug your family uh Millwood all these guys that we had played against and so after that the game started then it became a baseball game again and then it became like um it's on you know and that particular moment was just one of those moments it was euphoric uh I was in the right place at the right time and I just believe that I was you know had so many people pulling for you when you feel that energy and you feel everyone like just supporting you and and you feel that wind uh you 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 just come through and it was just one of those experiences I can't explain. It was so much larger than baseball. And, uh, you know, very blessed to have came through in that situation. I was blessed I got a, uh, you know, a one-strike fastball. You know what I mean? Because Carse, he had a great curveball. And I was kind of going to ask, did looking. you thank Carse? Do you see Carse uh, still mean, and say, hey, thanks for laying that uh, one in there for me? I really well, appreciate it. Well, not only that, the, the funny thing about it was he threw one right down the middle. And I step out and I go, shit. I go, that's probably the best pitch I'm going to get. So as you see the swing, I, it, as you know, as a catcher, right, I'm thinking, okay, one strike, he's going to come in off the plate or he's going to go away. So I started cheating in a little bit. And you could see my bottom half a little bit kind of thinking, okay, but he put it right down the middle. <laughs> Fortunately, he gave, he gave me a cookie. and uh, But he had a great curveball too because I was like, man, you know, if I see the spin, sit back. So there was a lot going on. And then as soon as he, th I just was able, and I was able to really get my barrel and extend my arms on it and just, you know, really just square it up. So it was just one of those fortunate situations. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, you know baseball, right? Uh, if you would have thrown me a curveball, I probably would have, like, threw the bat into the dugout, and we would have not been talking about, about the story. So <laughs> fortunately, he did. He threw it. It's one of the only times I've ever heard ballplayers say they felt like, 
on the Brave side, they weren't supposed to win. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those moments where because of the magnitude yeah. of the situation, you know, I'm friends with Mark DeRosen. I remember he said he was like something along the lines of, yeah, like we did we did not deserve or we we kind of felt like this was their game. This was bigger than the game, which was wild. Not saying that's why you got the cookie. No, no. Well, I think what you're, what you're getting at is I think, you know, when you play against guys and AJ, you know this, right? You're out there, you're a warrior, right? You, you, you have a persona. We all have to build up our armor. You know, it's like, even though we are friends off the field, we say, hi, hey, doing, but, but there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of intensity. Um, and we had played, as I said, against Chipper for years, and uh, he had always just wore us out. I mean, he beat us in '99, and, and he just had her. Now he always he always just rose to the occasion. And afterwards, he was so gracious in his remarks, and you see such an incredible different side of him. Uh, you know, a sensitive side, a side that he really cared and and understood how important the relationship was, the the rivalry between the Mets and the Braves, and how great it was for the game. And as, as you said, most of the guys were like the Mets, it just seemed destiny. We were supposed to win that night and they had no problem with that. And I thought that was an incredibly gracious uh, sentiment by them. Uh, And after so many games of up and down and intense and, and hard baseball, you know, it was really, really a cool moment for all of us. So looking back, it was, it was one of those iconic moments in history, really. I mean, obviously in sports history. For sure. For sure. Well-deserved. Another, you were involved in a kind of another iconic moment uh, in the world (laughs) series one year with your boy Clemens. Oh man, uh, I didn't okay, so, bring that up. Okay. No, of course. Listen, no, I was, no, 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 it's cool. I was in it's fights. Cool. I get it. I had people throw shit at me all the time. They usually were balls, not bats. So I get it. Yeah. And punches and everything. So my, my question is yeah. when it happened, I would have been like, what the fuck is he doing? Because the ball, I mean, the bat, he's like, I thought it was the ball, which obviously, if you have a bat and you have a ball in your hand, you know the difference yeah. as soon as you pick it up. You're, and even if it thought it was the ball, why was he throwing it at you? Have you ever talked to him about it? And then the other question yeah. I have is, was it the next year you caught him in the All-Star game? Yeah, I caught him in Houston. Six- I was, it was, yeah. yeah you and, were you telling and, guys you know, what was coming? Because that would have been something I would have No, been. no. I, I would have been like, you son that. of a bitch. Somebody, you know, no, no. You know what's funny? It's some people actually sort of alluded to that. I mean, like, I would, I would never do that. Obviously, if I was telling people what was coming, the umpire would have heard it. It just been, it doesn't make any sense. And uh, obviously, you got to back up a little bit. Obviously, he, he beamed me. I think I forget during it might have been June of that year. And um, you know, I'd said some things. I, I was was I was hitting very well against him. I think it was like eight for twelve or eight eight for eleven with with three home runs and. And, you know, Roger, I mean, he was one of those old school mentality guys like Nolan Ryan. And, and, you know, it was just one of those things. I had really felt like he was going to back me off the plate eventually. I mean, I didn't know he was almost going to take my head clean off. You know what I mean? So I was like a little bit obviously sore and and obviously sensitive to that. So so this triggered and ignited this incredible and you amplify that being in New York, right? with all the media there and the fans and the Yankees and the Mets. And it's like, it was a cauldron. It was, there was so much intensity and so much, every time we played them after that, it was like this, this sort of uh, gladiator arena type of vibe, you know, people wanted blood. And I think when it got to the world series, 
uh, it just, you could tell, I mean, it was very uncomfortable in a way because it was hard enough to play baseball with your mind free and with, but there, because of all this backstory, um, there was so much emotion and intensity and adrenaline. So I think only giving him the benefit of the doubt when I broke the bat, uh, and it went to him. It was just such a bizarre moment of timing. And I mean, who would ever think and predict that that could ever happen, really? And so I don't know. You know, I don't I give him the benefit of the doubt. People are like, oh, he knew you were running. And I'm like, dude, I have no idea. I I actually it was probably a bat that had a hairline crack in it. I didn't really know because it didn't really go that far on the trade. It was up the trademark a little bit, but the bat just imploded. And I actually felt like it was kind of a little bit solid so i didn't know where i was like this i thought the and the ball went over the first base into the stands i believe and so i was like if it's down the line and you know old yankee stadium there's no foul territory down there so if it would have limped into the field it could have been a hit so next thing i know the bat goes whizzing by me the bat head there was three pieces and every and then the rest is history as they say so you tell me. I mean, maybe it was just too much adrenaline. Maybe it was just too much of a, of uh, emotion. Uh, and I think maybe in the back of his mind, he actually maybe thought I was throwing the bat at him. I have no idea. I mean, he's never talked about it publicly. I've talked about it ad nauseum. So, I, again, well, your my, guess is as good as mine. No, my thing is I face Clemens, obviously. And sure. he was known if you got hits off of him, he was going to hit you. Or he was going to throw one. Up and in, right? I know he got you in the head, which is awful. But he, you know, you get a hit off him your first at bat. Guess what? The next at bat, you know, one was coming here, and it was just the way he tried to like intimidate it's true. you. I mean, there was and, a famous, uh, there was a famous uh, with Brocious, I believe, when he was still with Boston, where he almost, you know, hit him between the, the shoulder blades. So, I mean, look, that's like you said, that's the mentality he he came up with. You know, the whole. Country hardball, someone's digging in on you, someone bunts on you. I mean, Nolan Ryan used to, if someone bunted on him for a base hit, you know, the next time up, he would take your head off or at least drop you. And um, so, yeah, that was that, that was that era, that mentality. So what you did, so you did give the pitches in the all-star game. You know, no, somebody mentioned that. I was like, why are you going to give the pitches in the all-star game? This is ridiculous. So, because it was an exhibition I, and it would be awesome if I, you did. I mean, no, no. You know, I just think, honestly, I got to be honest with you. It was just so awkward for both of us. It was just awkward. Did you awkward. guys speak? Did you speak? Yeah, we- no, we had to. We had to. And then every time we got close, there was media and everyone was like, are they talking? Blah, blah, blah. We went into the training room. We talked. I didn't really want to get into semantics or, you know, what, what happened or what he was thinking. We just said, hey, dude, let's go out and be pros tonight. Let's try to get this done. You know, here's the signs. You know, let's go over the hitters. And it was very professional. There was no emotion because that's what really you have to be. I mean, I, I would have felt better if he would have had three great innings or two innings or whatever he was going to throw. Um, and I would have felt like more of a perfect, because that's what we do. You know, I don't, I don't worry about that bullshit. It was like, I'm not going to go out there and hope he gets lit up just because he, he, you know, he hit me or, or, or we went through that incident. So it was what it was. I mean, it was, I just think both of us were just uncomfortable and maybe he didn't have his best stuff. You know, there's so many things that can happen in a bad game. You know, this, so it was just unfortunate and, and it ruined my all-star game too, because every, every media, they asked every other player, Every question, every press conference was this, that. And I was like, you know, it just was weird. It was just a little awkward. But, you know, you get through it. It was what it, it was. What it was. 
AJ, you know what they had to do back then? What Carlos Gomez and Brian McCann did years later and then posted on social media, which obviously wasn't a thing at the time period. But, you know, those two got really into it at one point, right? There was a, a famous brawl. And then recently they hugged it out, took a picture, showed everyone, you know, we talked it out. We're boys. It's all good. <laughs> you, I mean, you guys have probably been at similar events, you know, for – whatever golf tournament. just one just one really? i was in a, a i was yeah i was a michael jordan golf tournament uh, and actually going back to the grove i mean that's how we met michael and when michael started the golf club you know he he obviously invited us to to join the guys that he had knew from his golf tournament and uh yeah that was it just one i mean but you know what though it, it, to me Things things move on, you know. It's like, what are you gonna do? Are we gonna go fight in the parking lot? If you wanted to, that would be great. Fight. Now, you see, did. that would be great. Well, we can manage that. <laughs> we can we can make that. We can figure out UFC. Forget UFC. We'll make our own promotion. We'll have PL. Although Clemens, dude, he's big now. He he's bigger than you are now. So I don't know. I know, man. Doesn't he's out of your weight class. AJ he just said, if he wants to, it's fine. Does, but doesn't know, his son play for the Phillies? Doesn't yeah. some play for the Yeah, yeah. yeah you, that, know because, people, hey, you know some Italian people in Philly, you know. Can, oh, come on. <laughs> Vito Vito Friscia, who plays for us in Italy, you know, he I think he texts me, goes, You're not gonna believe he's in the clubhouse, you know, Roger's in the clubhouse. I was like, tell him I said hi. You know, like who gives it? Man, you I know, like it, I'm just glad I'm I say people, I said, I'm just glad I'm still alive. Uh I'm glad, you know, as I said, I had a great career and uh, and you know, history, but you move on. You, things are just just it's just, I mean, think about it. This, this is already almost 25 years and people still like to talk about it, but <laughs> it is what it is. People love it. Uh, last one, because I'm just yeah. thinking about how like so many people want like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg to do like a celebrity oh boxing God. match or something. Like if, <laughs> if I came to you and I was like, all right, listen, this is going to make 50 mil. It, it's, it's 15 for each of you and 20 goes to an incredible charity. Three rounds. You down? How much? How much mil? Fifteen. Fifteen mil each. each. Oh, you're, there's no way you raise that much. I just did the special forces show last year for like nothing. I got my ass kicked. You know. What I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, I saw that. I was wondering about. Yeah, that. I mean, I did the special. I mean, it was funny. I was like thinking, you know, I'm gonna do this because you know my dad was in the army and he was drafted for Korea and. It was just kind of a tribute thing. And then when I started watching the show, I said, you know what? It's going to be tough. So 15, yeah, yeah. If, if we do 15, yeah. he would. I, if he kicks my ass, I kick his ass for 15 million. Yeah, I mean, I'm down with that. Yeah, but it ain't going to happen. Nobody cares. Nobody Dude, wants to see care. two old. No one wants to see two old guys roll around in the ring. I do. I do. Oh. I do. I do. For 15 million? Oh no yeah, they're, Dude, they're, they're saying me. Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg would would make millions and millions of millions. Who? I mean, those guys are. They, they have, have that money in their sports. ashtray in their car. They have that money <laughs> like in their sofa in their 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 sofa. Uh, Dude, you know you're telling me that you nobody in New York. If you put this thing in Madison Square Garden. The, the oh Mets my God. Fans dude, it would be fans? so lame, though. Two old, like, out of shape dudes rolling That's around. That's why it would Give be awesome because you guys would both throw oh, one punch God. and then you'd be like, <laughs> on no, each other. They'd train for a few months. These no, dudes absolutely. are pros. You know how they'd yeah. be. They'd go nuts for a few months. Oh, yeah. Dude, know? I just got new teeth. I don't want to get I know a great mouth guard guy. You're good. <laughs> so, so let me ask you about this because you, you, you name dropped Jordan, and obviously you were. Yeah, there. I'm not name dropping. I mean, that's I was just saying the tournament. I mean, no, that's know. one of the inside jokes we do because AJ name drops like ten times a day on our shows. 
<laughs> and he's the mayor of Florida, <laughs> not just Orlando. But he um, always but- Jordan always <laughs> takes my cigars, man. So I'm like, okay, go ahead. No, but I want to know about yeah, from Jordan to you know Jeter. We asked Pete Alonso. Yeah. You know, he's he's the the face of the Mets and the big homer bat, right? And yeah. and Judge obviously great on kid. the Yankees side, great kid. Yes, both yeah, of them, awesome. great dude, different, right? Pete's definitely sure. like more of a public kind of jokester and out there. I mean, he was telling us about how he he had to take shit and ended up at no home run first pitch because he had to go to the bathroom so bad. Like, you're not going to get that story from Judge necessarily. So no, fast. no, it's true. <laughs> but I was like, do you guys text? Are you, you guys friends? You guys saying like, hey, I'm going to what up you this year? And he said, not really. Um, you know, they, they see each other in person and stuff, but it's not like some, you know, anything kind of daily going on. Did you have anything like that? whether it was with Jeter or anybody else that was like a big, big name in baseball or other sports at the time? Uh, well, it's funny. I kind of hung out with hockey guys. I mean, Sheldon Surrey, who was playing for the um, the Devils at the time, then he got traded to the Canadians, and we became, cl- became close. He actually introduced me to my wife, uh, his wife and uh, – um, and my wife were roommates in, in California. So I'll never forgive him for that. It cost me a lot of money, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but no, not at all. Uh, and so Jason Arnott's a good friend of mine. Uh, we're, we're good friends. He, he still lives in Dallas. And um, But, but uh, no, I mean, getting back to New York, you know, I knew Derek. We, we're not, we're not uh, we just didn't really hang out. I mean, we're from two different teams. And it was just, uh, I see him. I, I, I've never really seen him that much. I know he's doing some commentary now. I think that's great. Um, you know, I wish him well with that. Um, and we talk about our old friend, Eric, you know, Eric Karras was great for years with that. He had the look, you know, the big Greek God, the Greek, Greek statue. I used to call him, you know, and he had the good voice. And so, uh, you know, he was great for years. I love watching those guys. He's still rolling. Karras is still rolling. No, don't, don't, don't put him in the grave yet. No, right? no, I'm not. No, don't put I mean, him in I just, the don't put him in the grave. He's still doing it. He's still doing it. I don't see him enough, you know, honestly. And living in Europe, obviously, the time is just completely different than L.A. So I, I rarely – I got to go online and see him more, yeah. But he just texted me the though. other day. He's still got he the still His has hair a, is like this big now, though. It's like he has a, his own, like, chia pet on top now. Dude, I need – I'm going to go get him for some implants or something, man, because I got, I got hair. I'm using every bottle of hair growth stuff and, and uh, all this <laughs> stuff my daughters gave me. She's like, Daddy, you know, they got this, this. I'm like, give it to me. Give it to me. I'm like, put it on my hair. So, yeah, he's never had the hair problem. I think I'm going to have to grab a clump of his hair in the back of his head and plant it up here when I get uh, a little thinner. <laughs> hey, you, you also had a, a manager celebrity, right? Because not every manager is a big name or as entertaining or charismatic as Bobby V. So what's your, I mean, we could probably spend Amazing. an hour plus on Bobby alone and I, I know him pretty well, but g- give me your best on, on Bobby V like your best situation or something that we, you know, never knew about that, that you experienced. Of course, you know, we know some of the famous theatrics. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, let's just be honest. The whole game has shifted in a way that you don't have these super large personality managers. I mean, I think Buck is probably one of the last persona managers. I mean, back when, when Bobby started, obviously he was learned, he was groomed by Tommy Lasorda and Whitey Herzog, Jim Leland. I mentioned, you know, these cagey old, you know, baseball guys that were in the dugout and, and, and just these guru guys that, that were, um, 
just this old school thing. And now with this whole metadata thing and analytics, and it just seems like managing a club is more of a collaborative effort. And I learned that in my stint managing. I mean, but I had an amazing coaching staff. I had Blake Butera and um, Mike Borzello and guys that had amazing experience. But getting back to Bobby, um, you know, Bobby was Bobby. He was just a, he was a gregarious uh persona personality you know he loved the spotlight um very controversial you know either you loved him or you hated him and uh i i thought bobby had an incredible baseball mind uh, i thought he evaluated players extremely well he managed the game extremely well but of course he had a big ego and i think sometimes his ego kind of clashed a little bit being in new york and there was a lot of leaks and if you had a meeting with them and all of a sudden you would see something in the paper and st- things like that so as a player, it was a challenge. I mean, my only story for me was, you know, I think one meeting he called me out, you know, in front of the the group, and I'm kind of like going, you know, what the, what the hell is he talking about? I mean, I was just kind of like, okay, I sucked it up. And then I went and talked to him. I go, Skip, what, what, what the fuck, man? Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I was like, what's the deal? You know, like what, 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 what? And he was just like, you know, well, if I call you out, then everyone will be motivated. And I was like, okay. I mean, so – one time, I think I always talk about this. I actually wrote about this in my book that he said, oh, do you want a day off tomorrow? And I was like, okay, not fine. You know, I'll take a blow. And he said, uh, uh, okay, fine. You're not going to play. And then I walked in and I was playing. And I saw in the lineup because the lineup was right there. And there was a bunch of reporters there that were kind of like looking at me like kind of almost. And I was like, okay, let me just be serious. I went in. I got dressed and got ready for the game. And so, you know, I, he would do little kind of mind tricks like that with me. And, and that was the only thing for me that, that was a little bit difficult to navigate. But you know what? You got to reach down and you got to, as I said, be professional. And I just did dealt with it as best I could. And it really, being in the cauldron of New York, really solidified my mental approach and allowed me to really focus and, and as I said, concentrate on the game, keep myself in shape hustle, do all the things that I needed to do to, to have a good stay there. Mike, you know, the managers are handed the lineups now. So Bobby <laughs> probably wouldn't have liked I, that very much. I, <laughs> crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's I, they're, crazy. They're, they're literally I, like I, here, by the way, here's your lineup. Uh, and here's the matchups uh, you're going to do. And oh yeah, by the way, Joe, tell the guys why they're not playing or why they are playing. And yeah, it's crazy. You're right. It's crazy. I, I never thought, I mean, again, I, I think that is important. I think, uh, you know, all these statistics are important, obviously in baseball, but, uh, yeah, the way the game has evolved in that direction, uh, is, is head scratching for me. Now I'm not a hater, you know, it's like, it is what it is because I'm a, I'm an antique, you know, I'm an old guy and I just kind of come in. I still enjoy the game and watching it, but, uh, and I'm not one of those guys back when we played, we used to play with broken legs and do all this stuff too. You know, it's just like every era has its challenges and, and this era is no different. So yeah, that is, that is something for me that I just never thought would happen. Yeah. Well, you know what? You should like analytics now because first of all, I would have been pissed too if a manager told me I was off and then just kidding. Haha, I'm playing. Cause it happened to me with Barry Bonds. When I played with him, there'd be two lineups up. One would be with Barry. One would be without Barry and I'd be in one and not the other. <laughs> you had to wait till Barry. You had to wait till Barry got in at like twelve thirty for a one o'clock game to know if you're playing or not. So I, I get your feeling, but you should be very proud. By the way, you should like analytics because one thing that always bothered me about you was and you're listen. You're in the Hall of Fame. You're one of the best mm. hitting catchers of all time. But everyone, ra- everyone just railed on your defense, right? And 
as a guy that was also known as an offensive catcher, I thought I was pretty good mm-hmm. behind the plate. And I watched you. I didn't think you were horrible. I yeah. thought you were pretty you. good. <laughs> I thought you were pretty good. I mean, you blocked. Listen, you played every day. You blocked the ball. You caught the ball. Now, listen, throwing – people don't understand. Throwing is about you need a pitcher, a catcher, and someone to catch it and tag them. So there's a lot that goes into throwing guys out. So that never was a big thing for me. But have you seen your metrics in the last year? So uh, seventh best going back to 1988 framing on one pole. Another pole puts you at third. What else can you do? If you catch the ball, you play every day, you hit homers for the guys, and you block it with a runner on third, what else? Yeah. Well, I think um, that was just the subject of, I, I think, you, naturally, you always have to find the chink in the armor. And as you mentioned, I think I played so much. Uh, and then, again, as a catcher, you know this, right? When the pitcher's out of the game, um, he's out of the game. But even as a, as a catcher, every throw you throw back to, to the pitcher is still a throw. So I think as my career sort of progressed, obviously my arm strength went down and it's just naturally, it's, in, it's impossible not to sort of equate that the more you play and as you get older, and it's such a, a physically demanding position that, that uh, it's impossible to maintain a certain amount. Now, there are freaks. I mean, I think Carlton Fisk caught <clears throat> well into, uh, I believe, his early 40s. I mean, I think he had a resurgence when he, when he uh, later on in his career, he lit, hit a lot of home runs later in his career. <clears throat> but for me, it was just I was blessed with a good body. I never had knee problems. Uh, always liked to take care of myself. And as a catcher, for me, as a hitter, I think that really helped my catching. And I was able to learn from the best when I came up with the Dodgers. I mean, Sandy Koufax, Don Drysdale, uh, Johnny Roseboro. I mean, Kevin Kennedy. All these guys had an instrumental uh, sort of effect on my career. And as a catcher, I looked at it as a personal responsibility to get that pitcher through the game. I mean, as you said, I re- one thing I do remember is five times my staffs led the league in ERA. So if I could go out and catch a two-hit shutout, and the guy shakes me off once or twice. That was that was a good game for me. Uh, Tom Candiotti told me one time, I'll never forget. I put this in my Hall of Fame speech. He goes, Mike, I don't give a shit if you ever throw anybody out. Just hit me a three-run home run. <laughs> so, <laughs> he said, catch, catch my knuckleball and hit 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 me a three-run home run. He goes, I don't give a shit about that. So yeah, and as you said, you know, I mean, obviously, it's good to catch. I used to love the great throwing catchers. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved Benito Santiago, or at least when I came up and playing against him, it was kind of cool because he had he throw from his knees, and uh, I love those guys. Ron Karkovice, you remember him with the with yeah. the White Sox? He was a great uh, thrower. He had a great release. Um, other guys I played against had great arms, uh, and I really really liked that. And so, obviously, I mean, when I came up, I had a decent arm. I, mean, I threw guys out. It was just not my forte, man. As you said, um, I was expected to play. Uh, and drive in runs and and catch and as you said I blocked I love blocking the ball I used to tell the pitcher dude you know winning run or tying run on third put it in the dirt I got it and uh, I learned from the best and and as you know as a catcher man you have to put the time in so it was it was part of me that was just something that I really enjoyed and was something I really looked as a challenge and here's what you can't quantify I don't know if they're going to ever have great statistics for game calling Right. I mean, obviously, you can look at your pitcher's ERA, but actual <clears throat> game calling, a lot of it that is just 
word of mouth and, and also depending on who's making decisions and, you know, paying attention to who's shaking. But I can just go on an example. Like Al Leiter has said, you know, many times, like, Mike, it was the best. Calling pitches for me, super easy. It was awesome. And, I mean, we see, you know, relating it to current status here, um, the Cardinals, right? They're trying to replace Yadi Molina, who was – According to many, well, he's legendary. irreplaceable. You're not going to replace a guy like that. You, you're yeah. going to get you, you. You have to figure something out. So I think I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, yeah. you're good. No, I'm just saying. Yeah. Like <laughs> weeks into the season, they're freaking out yeah. because Yadi's gone. You sign a new guy who's also Contreras, known more as an offensive first catcher, and they're like, he's not ready. His pitchers are calling him out. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> well, and I think you would attest to this, right? For me when I was managing and guys would come in after a pitcher was being taken out or changed and they would come in and look and say, well, what's he throw? What's, and I'm like, dude, just watch him. You know, like watch the guy throw. When I was in Dodger stadium, I would come out before I warmed up. I would sit on the bench and the visiting bullpen was right out in right field. And whoever was pitching, I would just sit there for five minutes, watch the slider, watch the changeup, watch, and I could see. And, and you learn a lot by watching. And I think we've computed the game so much into data that nobody watches the game. And as a catcher, you know this, AJ, right? If, if a guy's hot, if he's not, if he's chasing, if he's if – he's, like you, all these things you have to have right here. I mean, I would watch. If a guy's crowded played, I know he likes the ball in. If he's away, I know he likes the ball away. It's just certain little sort of um, tells – as a catcher that you watch, you watch and when a guy, I always laughed at it. I was watching the game the other day. Guy had a good fastball. He blows two by the guy. The guy fouls one off. He's tardy. What does he do? He throws a, a slider off speed and the guy gets a base hit. I'm like, the guy is telling you that he can't catch up to the fastball. Now I'm not saying you can't throw an off speed, but you can't throw it in the zone where the guy can get the bat on it. And then you go back and try to blow him away. So this organic sort of lack of a better word of evolution of the game, the spontaneity is gone. Everything is just super, super data computerized. And it's a little sterile to me. It's a little austere, but who am I? You know, it's just my opinion. And those are big words for, those are big words for us former catchers. Two syllables. <laughs> okay, that's, that's <laughs> austere. Okay, I mean, let's, let's slow down. I do a lot of reading. I'm, you know, I try to <laughs> elevate my vocabulary a little bit. Okay. The reason it is like that, Mike, is one, it starts at like eight, nine years old. Every pitch yeah. is called for kids from from travel ball till you're 12, to high school, into college. And then you get into the minor leagues and these catchers are like, I don't know how to call a game. I've never called a game in my life by myself. And then they have the quarterback wristbands are like, okay, it's 2-2. Two, two. I yeah. have to throw this pitch because the chart <clears throat> says I'm throwing this pitch. And I, for me personally – my son catches. He's 16 years old. He's going to be a junior. We let him call every pitch in high school. And then we have conversations yeah. with him and say, this is why you don't call that pitch or this is why you don't throw that pitch. And it seems kids are more responsive to that other than being ordered like, it's 2-2, the wristband says throw slider. I have to throw a slider, even though, like you said, the guy's late on the fastball. I came up with a veteran staff. I mean, I had Oral Hersizer, Kevin Gross, Tom Candiotti, Ramon Martinez, you know, uh, we then brought up Channel Park. We brought up Nomo, you know, Nomo signed. And um, my point I'm trying to make is when I first came up, I never had to tell Oral Hershiser to throw over Vince Coleman was on first base. You know, when we went in the meeting, he would say, Vince Coleman, okay, he's going to run. 
or, or um, Chucky Carr, whoever was the, the fastest guy. You know the guy's going to run. So I would say, hey, man, give me a show move. Give me a step off. Give me a quick move. And, and that's how we would control the running game. But we weren't obsessing over it because ultimately if we knew we concentrated so much on the runner, then the hitter would – you'd get a rally going. And, and as, a hit, as a catcher, I always say, you know, keep your team within one swing of the bat. You, the guys are good. You're going to give up runs. Give up one or two. Don't give up four or five. Don't give up three or four. And um, as you said, I think that sort of – players don't have that instinct anymore. They don't have that style. They're just not on their own because you said everything is super, super controlled. And um, it is what it is. I mean, maybe it'll come around again. Maybe things happen in phases or in fads or whatever you want to say. So, um, you know, I hope it does that. But, but again, speaking about the staff, and then when I got up to the Mets, I think we called up a lefty, and there was a quick runner on first, and the guy just took off. I, did, I held the ball, and I said, dude, were you watching him? He's like, well, I didn't see you throw over. I'm like, bro, we, we said the guy's got 30 stolen bases. He could roll. Why would you – you know what I mean? So they were – that whole mentality changed where the pitchers just weren't aware of their surroundings. Like every, as you said, they, you tell them everything to do and it just got a little weird, you know, it just got super strange. No. And sterile is a good word. Yeah. It's, it's like robotic. Um, it's, it's coordinated, you know, pre-coordinated even. So I'm with you and I want to finish here on some hall of fame conversations. So first off, how often do you think about being a hall of famer? And when we do talk to guys that are like fringe, say, and they go, I don't think about it much, no big deal. Like if I get in, I get in. Do you believe them? Or do you feel like most guys say, okay, I accomplished this much. I feel like I should be there. And they're probably, you know, burning inside for that last mega ultimate accomplishment. Well, I think the first thing is you have to surrender to the process. And it's gone through some evolution, obviously, with with the writers and and. Um, I always try to stay away from lobbying. I mean, I, I just feel like as a player, you just got to put your numbers out there and, and just hope for the best. Um, there's, there's so many variables that go into it, as you know, throughout history. Uh, and um, what I can say personally is that it's, it's the highest honor as a player. Um, I knew when I started putting up good numbers behind the plate as a hitter and as a catcher that, that uh, basically I was getting into that territory of that group. Uh, Gary Carter, God rest his soul. It, it took him a long time. I mean, it's a process and you have to surrender to it. It's out of your control. So when I see the various, uh, debates every year, you know, they come up and it's, just tar- it, it is, it's, that's part of the fun of it. And it is, it's, it is the most significant hall of fame. I mean, to me, I mean, obviously you have other hall of fames and other sports and there's some great players in there, but you know, the baseball hall of fame is, is truly special. I mean, with the connection to history, uh, so, you know, obviously McGriff and Roland getting in this year, they're great players. They're well-deserved. And, uh, I always say, let the, let the pundits, you know, debate it, it, because as a player, you know, AJ, right? Like there's players you think deserve it, players you don't think deserve it. And it's not really fair because ultimately we're all doing the same thing and we're all trying to do and get along and, and, and build our careers and, and make a great living. And, and, and then you just surrender. So, uh, for me, once I kind of let it go, it just happened. And it was a blessing. I mean, I went in with Junior, and it was a great day. And it was just, uh, I think we as human beings are in this super hyper-controlling mentality where sometimes you just have to release it, just throw it up to God and just go, hey, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm proud of my career. And, and sometimes life isn't fair, man. 
you know, I hate to say it, just because you do the right thing and you have the numbers doesn't mean you're going to be there. Like, uh, it is what it is. And, and so fortunately, I, you know, I made it and it was, it was a wonderful experience. You know, I was so glad my dad was there. Uh, you know, God rest his soul. It was, he was so instrumental in my life and my career. And so obviously it was a, it was a special moment for me. I'm just, I, 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 I'm a, against the way the process happens. I think there can be a more tweaks to it. Your numbers didn't change over the years of when you started on the ballot. And then all of a sudden, Oh wait, he hit, we went back and hit more homers. Or he, <laughs> he got more hit. So I just don't understand if you're a hall of famer, like I, I could, I played against you. I was fortunate enough to play against yeah. you. I was fortunate enough to get to watch you coming up. You were a hall of famer. I, I didn't have to, I shouldn't have had to wait. What was it? Four years for you to get in five, yeah. four, four years. Right. For you to get in, so I just don't understand. I mean, I was honored. I got on the ballot and I got a few votes. Yeah, yeah. Right? I was like, "Yeah, I'm awesome." I didn't get in the <laughs> Hall of Fame, but to me, there's guys you look at, you Jeter, Mariano, the guy Griffey, like you said, when it those guys that should yeah. be like. There's no doubt. It's not a. There's no. Oh man, well we got to We're gonna make this guy wait three years because he deserves to screw that. You, I could watch you and say, this guy's a Hall of Famer. He should go in right away. So to me, that's what makes me angry about the way it happens. But that's one approach, and I understand that. And I think a lot of people would would relate to that. But you also have to look at it in a sense that uh, the process is such that, uh, as I said, um, my personal situation, if I would have went in the year before, the year before, there would have been like five guys. I went in with Junior. Obviously, he was first bout and I wasn't. And I thought, okay, what – that the timing turned out to be perfect for me. You know, it was a beautiful day. I mean, the director said, hey, you guys are only two. Take more time on your speech. It was just an incredible experience. So at first, yes, it's a little bit head scratching where you're like, oh, my God, is this going to happen? And, you know, am I, I going to get the votes? And obviously swirling around all the, the controversies of the years and things like that throughout our history of our game. But, but to, to me, is it really comes out in the watch, man. It, it, it really does come out in the end. And it was a wonderful experience. And so I think we have to try to stay positive and allow it to take place. And as you said, look, I mean, McGriff, I mean, he read he, today, this year. He's waited a long time. I mean, I love playing against him, the crime dog. I mean, he had a great swing and the follow through and all that. And so um, it, it, part of that is what makes it, makes it interesting. You know, maybe if it was just too computerized, okay, the numbers and this and that to get in, nobody would care, you know? So I think from a from an interest standpoint, it just makes it part of the debate and it is what it is, you know? One, one more pressing ask for you before um, you jump to make this all go full circle because I was thinking uh, about this during the conversation, AJ trying to plead his case to be part of like the Team Italy coaching staff. Just just one can promise you blame from me? you. Can you blame no, me? No, I don't blame you at all, but I know you'll like yeah. this because we were all over this when it happened. One promise is that you'll never let Team Italy's uniforms look anything like Great Britain's uniforms because those were, <laughs> oh, the they were, they were bad right? of all yeah. time. Yes, of all time. Like, I don't know if they're going to be able to get over that. <laughs> Somebody let that slip through the cracks. And, it, I mean, the freaking the, – the, the names – The right? letters were falling off. Oh my God. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. And I'll real quick story is like, this was the first year that the major league baseball facilitated where we had to get our own uniforms, our own uh, sponsor. Uh, and we used the soccer company, the company's called Area, and they're actually out of Parma where I live. 
And they had never made baseball uniforms before. So when they were doing the mock-ups and stuff, uh, I was like going, man, these guys are big leaguers. So I told John Marco, I said, dude, when we get to Taipei, we got to have a tailor there. We have to have a seamstress there. And it turned out to be great because, you know, these, these two Taiwanese people come in, this little dude comes in, he's got the tape measure. And so some of the pants were like, what? Like, I mean, it was just like, it was like wearing trainer's pants or something, you know? And so um, that was the one thing. I mean, in years past, the Major League Baseball did the uniforms, and this year was was that one exception. So I don't know what they're going to do in the future for the next Classic, but we were fortunate. I mean, Array was a great company. I mean, our uniforms were kind of different, but at least guys were happy with them. And so today, I was like, man, these guys are really particular about their uniforms. So that, the, that was another story. How the fuck does Major League Baseball not pay for your uniforms? They're making billions of dollars <laughs> off this thing, and they can't throw a couple hundred grand in Italy and be like, hey, guys. We're going to make your uniforms. You guys can design. This is what they should do. They should get the teams together, and they should say, yeah. you're going to design your uniforms like the That would make guys. sense. And say, well, you, you know as well as – Well, I mean, in, now that I'm in the management space, you know, I see that, you know, they changed years ago. I mean, they went to Nike, right, uh, a few years ago, and I knew there were some rollout problems. And in their defense with COVID and the supply chain issues, all the stuff that they talked about. But – um Years, it was Majestic, I believe. And then when I came out the Dodgers, it was Rawlings, and they, they did our uniforms. But since they shifted to Nike, I know during the, the, the uh, pandemic, there was some issues. Like, even with the teams, they had issues with even the regular teams. So I think this classic, they just kind of punted and said, Look, you, you guys do your own uniforms. Uh, <laughs> and uh, some, I, even Venezuela, like I looked at Venezuela, I don't know. It, it, it was a little loud. It wasn't my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, they they liked it, Colombia and whatnot, you know, because there's a lot of yellow going on there. Uh, it was cool. I mean, look, so, I, you know. Wait, who was the Great Britain was, guy then that was like, if they Great Britain made their own uniforms, they're like, all right, we're just going to put Great Britain on our uniforms. <laughs> and, the, and the letters call are going to fall off. Yeah, we're going to call it a day. Lame, man. That's that's what I'm saying. Obviously, someone dropped the ball on that. But but in their defense, you know, these teams had never done that before. I mean, we, we were fortunate because we curated, you know, a soccer company that does soccer uniforms and they never done baseball. So now they've been working and now they're getting their swatches better and they're getting their, their uniforms better and the buttons and these zippers and all that. So, yeah, I mean, we were lucky, but yeah, we had to, you have to take control of that. And uh, yeah, some of them were kind of, kind of goofy, <laughs> goofy. <looking. laughs> Obviously Japan was like perfect, right? They look like robots with the stripes and everything. When we played them. I was like, Oh my God, you know? And one last thing I'll say about, it, you know, when we played Japan, in Japan, 48 million people watch the game. One out of every two TVs in Japan watch the game. It's the highest watched game in the history of Japan, even more than the final. Now, even though there were some time change issues because it was Miami to Tokyo, that, that game we played there was just incredible, and it was just a, a big success. So I think Major League Baseball was a little bit surprised. This could have been the year that the classic kind of faded away. But I think uh, putting aside some of the negative stuff and the injuries, it turned out to be an incredible home run, lack of a better word for MLB. Oh, yeah. Stronger than ever. I agree. And yeah. they will definitely be paying for all the unis again. There's no <laughs> doubt. Hearing that, too, again, you're reminding me, like, how many people were watching? How many ads? How much money was made? And I'm like, I, we, I just spent the weekend watching MLB's coverage of, of the London series. And they're yeah. spending all this money, outreach. We want to get more players in, in Great Britain. And we talked about this at the top. And I'm like, here's a good idea. Don't embarrass Great Britain by making them set up their own uniforms. Like, you want baseball to be cool in England? Like, you you made I think they were trying to replicate. I think, little leaguers would have made fun of. 
I think they were trying to replicate the fog of London. Like the whole uniform was just fog. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's why the letters you know, the, fall because you couldn't. Yeah, see Yeah, the shitty weather. Yeah, just <laughs> fog, man. Like there was no Union Jack there. There was no like you know the London Guard. They could have done something kind of cool. Uh, fish and chips. Yeah, what other stereotype of London, England, could you do? You know, but yeah, Sherlock Holmes. The letters. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, with the pipe. They all come out with the pipe or something. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, uh-huh. it was lame. But uh, yeah, like you said, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, it's crazy. I, I, as I said, uh, I, I believe this. They thought this was the class that was going to die after this year. They thought this was going to be lame, and no one's. And it turned out to be an incredible experience, and and lot tons of people watched it. So we'll see the next chapter. It'll be it'll be interesting. One thing for sure, we're not going to sneak up on anybody. So no, we already started working. I said to John Marco, they're like, dude, we got to start finding some Italian guys. Let's get busy, you know. Yeah, no, they they know about Team Italy now. Uh, yeah. On the field and and the the guys were were loud in a good way. They were fun. It was great. So you were a big part great of it, experience. dude. Appreciate Thank the time. You. Um, and I just want to say a big thanks to the MLB Players Alumni Association for making this happen behind the scenes with with Mike and AJ and myself. And hit baseballalumni.com for much more info on your favorite former players and all the great things they're doing over there. New episodes of this show every week on Foul Territory's YouTube channels and wherever you get your pods. Mike, awesome catching up with you, dude. Really appreciate it. This was great. Yeah. All right, AJ, I'll see you at the club, man. Let's go. All right, buddy. One day, one, day you'll, hey, one day you'll let a non-Hall of Famer play with you, so just let me know <laughs> when, you're, when you're going to come down, okay? Let me know. Dude, you just have to bring, you know, booze and cigars, and I'm good to go. So Okay, we got that. We got All that. right. Yeah, let's hit the ball around up there. That would be fun, man. <laughs> All right, Mike. God thanks, bless, pal. guys. Cheers, Mike. We'll All talk right. to you soon, dude.